Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. This is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast. We are excited to be back with you guys. Very. Um, Danielle's in Zurich. I'm in Atlanta, sort of. I'm miles south of Atlanta, but ballpark, Georgia. <laughs> and we have gotten to podcast number 392 here, yeah, um, which crazy. is sort of amazing. We were just Discussing. talking about what we should do to celebrate 400 and haven't really come up with an amazing idea yet but well we're gonna celebrate something we're this gonna summer. celebrate we're going to iceland <laughs> yeah <laughs> which is our hopefully home turf. hopefully we'll this see is, this is our ancestors our ancestors came some of them came from iceland but i would like we're, ideas of what we could do for the 400th episode Ah, uh, yes. So for the if any listeners have ideas, send them in to questions at investedpodcast.com. And I would appreciate that. We were thinking we would talk about like stuff we've learned, but that's pretty much the entire podcast is stuff we've learned every mm-hmm. single week. Mm-hmm. So that one doesn't excite me all that much. Well, I'll tell you what, what, what kind of, what kind of things we should do on the 400th? We'll, we'll get there. I think we should think about what kind of thing we should do today. Okay. <laughs> so today. So we talked about maybe talking about how to teach children investing. Well, that's that where we ended so last exciting. time. Yes. What a great concept. Then we thought about it. <laughs> we realized we don't know anything about teaching children. <laughs> we realized the whole last episode was us completely just pulling things out of thin air and talking about what friends of mine have done. And uh, we don't really know if those are good ideas or not, but I thought it was cool to talk about. I don't know if we have anything like additional or worthy to add in this episode necessarily. So I think we're going to table that one for now. Yeah. Yeah. And instead we were just talking beforehand about two things. One We've been promising for a little while to just give an update on the ups and downs of this market and kind of what's going on and uh, and your perspective on that, Dad. And then secondly, Netflix recently had their uh, third quarter res- report come out. Results, report, talk, whatever they did. I didn't look at it. And I was wondering what that said after we talked for Net- about Netflix for uh, many 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 weeks yeah we should we should talk about it again just briefly but i'll tell you what i i do think we have a really really interesting time coming up in the future Hmm. um we've talked about ray dalio of course saying we're going to be in for it right yeah and um and projecting about a six percent 10-year treasury note which implies about a nine percent to ten percent mortgage rates and about a 5% inflation rate, which would, of course, cut the 
purchasing power of money in half in 15 years. And that's pretty, pretty scary. I think for a lot of people on fixed income. Yeah. So I think the option of just riding it out and, and doing what your advisors tell you is only really available to people that have a few years before they retire and at least $500,000. And then you can probably follow that, that kind of a formula for most people riding out a down stock market for the next years and, and hoping to retire isn't really in the cards. If inflation's at 5%, it's just not going to happen. You're, you're going to see that uh, uh, like a, a hundred thousand dollar cost of living in today's dollars at 5% means in 20 years, you'll be looking at almost $250,000 to do the same lifestyle. Hmm. And which means you have to have millions of dollars put away in the ballpark of four or 5 million put away um, if you wanna retire uh, in, in say 15 or 20 years. That's really scary for people. And we've gotten to this, we've got to kind of wonder, well, what? how can this get bad and why is the stock market gonna really have a tumble? Um, and so one of the things probably good to understand is that the stock market is pretty much priced or thought about with modern portfolio theory, which says that price and value are about the same thing in the stock market. And so the way that Wall Street tends to price things is to say that there is a risk-free rate above which you have to get in order to make sense of taking risk. Mm-hmm. And investing in stocks has risk. So if you say that the risk- And by the way, let me just say about that, that if anybody's mm-hmm. not sure what that is, we we did like multiple episodes of me asking questions about the risk-free rate. So go look back to like the first hundred episodes. Yeah. <laughs> it's in there. So, so good. <laughs> so risk-free rate, let's say is 2%, 10-year T-bill. And on top of that is a 6% premium for risk. So that means that you need to get 8% per year compounded out of your investments in the stock market if you believe in that. And what that means is you would price things according to a discount factor of 8% per year. Now, what comes out is a lot more expensive stock market than if the discount factor was 15% a year, say it would be. You could pay twice as much for something Mm -hmm. if you only need 8% than if you need 15. Mm -hmm. That makes sense so far? Yeah. Kind of. Okay. Then here's what happens when you raise the 10-year treasury to 6%, which is what Dalio is projecting, then you add 6% onto that and you're at a 12% discount rate instead of an 8. And now the stock market has gotten uh, much cheaper. In In other words, you have to pay much less for things on the order of about 50%, 30 to 50% less if you're projecting a 12% discount rate into the future than if you're projecting an eight. And so we've had all these years of And this is, you're saying this is because of the large institutions buying and selling, pricing things that way. Yep. Not necessarily that we are thinking that way. No, we don't think that way at all. Yeah, got it. But they do. And so they're already starting to look at this market as interest rates start to come up as being expensive. And that's what it's starting they're starting to change their their approach with people and suggesting okay now you can start thinking about going to bonds right and we're going to we're going to change the and we're going to adjust so people are going from some most people many people have a 100% allocation of stocks because bonds were paying nothing and now it's going to start shifting 
So kind of a major impact on the market as as reset kind of three a threefold impact. First, you have recession, which reduces the consumer uh, spending. Mm-hmm. Right. People on the margin start to get less money. Mm-hmm. Um, and so less spending means these companies are making less money profits, mm-hmm. which means their earnings go down, not up. Their growth rate goes down, not up. And their P.E. ratio goes down. And so all of a sudden, something worth $100 is now worth $80. So you have that. Then you have interest rates rising, which we just talked about, which changes the discount rate. So now that $80 thing is actually worth 60 because of, of the change in risk capital. And then um, you have the impact of, um, of the spending that's going on or not going on out there as they start to reduce uh, the amount of capital available in order to control in- inflation. So now the government is going to be more restricted in its spending. Uh, the governmental Reserve, spending. Yeah, yeah. This mm-hmm. is monetary policy. And and so the Fed is raising interest rates, which pushes interest rates higher. Um, they're cutting back on spending in order to stop the inflation levels that have occurred because primarily because Biden's administration put $4 trillion into the market. Um, and the only way the government could get that money to spend was to simply have the Federal Reserve print it and buy treasury bills with that printed money. And then that gives the government the money to spend on the $4 trillion. So they got it, they're, they're having to cut back on that as much as they can. And all of this is creating a scenario that says the stock market is done going up and it's probably done going up for a long, long time, a long time, as in potentially for a decade you know, five years, 10 years, nobody knows for sure. What I find interesting about that is that it's predictable. Like this is part of monetary policy. It's not that they want the stock market to stop going up, but it's predictable that it will due to those three factors that you just excellently described. So it's, uh, it's kind of odd to me that people act like it's a surprise. I know. Well, you've got a huge number of people on Wall Street who have never been in a recession. I mean, well, they've been, they've been in a years. recession, right? But not a down, way down market that's not going they, back they, up. When's the last recession we had? 2008. Oh, I got you. Yeah, that was a long time ago. Yeah. We're talking about 14 years ago. I mean, that means I guess I feel like this one's school. been going on long enough that we've. We've been in such an uncertain economic time for I mean, years now. So I'm kind of like, aren't we, haven't we been no, in one? No, I know it's not an official recession not until an official recently. Recession. Yeah. And you've got people on Wall Street who are turning 40 years old, have spent their entire career on Wall Street and have never seen a recession. I mean, that's me. That's me. I'm not on Wall Street. But. And what they have learned is ignore all this bad talk and just buy the dip. Just buy the dip. Yeah, because I have dip. to say like, those people have seen recessions. <laughs> like what? we experienced that in 2007, trust me. And we experienced oh, they, it. they got out of business school in 2008, they haven't seen it. They got in For, right at the bottom. Is I mean, they are saying? humans who like lived through it, right? Oh yeah, they, they saw it. And then the way. same thing in 2000. And trust me, that affected all of us, whether or not you worked on Wall Street. Like we remember that. But what you're saying is, what? I'm just laughing because I went through multiple recessions in the 1970s and didn't notice any of them. 
Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) When you're making $4,000 a year working as a guide, you really, as long as people are showing up, you don't notice anything about what's going on economically. (laughs) But that's an aside. Most people are going to experience I mean, I graduated from college in 2003, and I had a really hard time finding a job because there weren't any. And I went through the massive massive recession in 2007, 2008, 2009 in law school. So, you know, trying to find a job for after law school. So like everybody who's my age, we went through it. But with the point you're making is that we also experienced that the recovery happened really fast and we went through it and it was really bad. And then everything, including the stock market, recovered and went to levels they never had gone to before. So that's our ex- right. my generation. That's our experience twice now. And I think it's an excellent point that that's what the people who are now in their 40s on Wall Street are. Uh, that's their perspective. That's their experience. That's the, the point of view they're coming at this with. Yeah, it all gets fixed. And if yeah. you add to that, a belief that price and value are the same thing, which is what they're teaching in business schools, then you come to the conclusion that there is no proper price for the market. It's just whatever it is. And so you buy the dip, right? And and what they don't realize is that there are there is economic gravity. There is a return to the norm. Um, and that means, well, for example, for the last 140 years, the average PE on the Schiller PE chart is about 16 on the S&P 500. And it hit 40 recently and is coming down now as the stock market starts to drift down. Mm. But there's only been four times in our entire history where it got above about a 25. And you know, one of those was right around 1900. Stock market went nowhere for 20 years, nowhere. It, it went mm-hmm. up and down but it never got about the, above the 1905 high. And then in the 20s, it took off again with really loose uh, Federal Reserve policy. And boom, 1929, it, it peaked out at about 30. And we have the Depression. And so if you invested in 1929, you started to get your money back in 1955. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So people learned investing in the stock market is a, a fool's game. And then that happened again in the 1960s. In about 1964, 65, the market peaked at 1,000. And we went into this malaise in the country with Vietnam and the coming off the gold standard and Nixon and the White House and all sorts of problems economically. And we had almost 20 years of economic malaise. And the market never went above 1,000 on the Dow for that entire time almost 20 years. And here we've had the biggest bull market in the history of the country Mm -hmm. uh, being driven by a a drop of Federal Reserve interest rate policies from a peak of about 20%, the Fed fund rate was at in the early 1980s, 
just been steadily reduced, steadily reduced to overcome all problems, all economic issues, overcome the, the 9-11 issues, overcome the war issues. And it went to zero. It went from 20% to 0%. And now it's going back. And so where how high it goes, I don't know. What I do know is we're in for a long, long time with the stock market having no rationale to move upwards as bonds become more are paying a higher and higher rate of return. And people are starting to see that the stock market is a fool's game again and that no one can make money in the stock market. And we go through these periods very regularly. Question? Yeah. Okay, question. Um, What makes you think it won't start to go up again rather quickly? You're saying, you're just saying like, oh, it's going to last a long time. Why? Right. Okay, so what drove it higher and higher was Federal Reserve policy to lower the interest rate, which we've said results in higher, uh, a rather lower and lower discount factors, which mm-hmm. seem to make the market more valuable, right? Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. The second thing is they've printed a ballpark, I could have this a little bit wrong, but ballpark 60% of all the money ever printed in the history of our country has been printed in the last 15 years. Okay. So they've just, they've gone from $4 trillion of total capital available in the United States, total M2 money supply, to $22 trillion of total money supply. So from four to 22, that's, sorry, it's more than 60%, it's about 75% of all the money ever created in the history of our country got printed just recently, driving us into inflation. So here's the, that's what they've done. Now, how to fix the problem? You have to stop printing money. You have to stop having the government spend more money than it can collect in taxes. And you have to raise interest rates. Now, you can't, you can't go the other way. If inflation is raging at 8% right now, which uh, adjusted for the way they calculated it in 1979, it'd be at 15% right now. But let's just say it's at 8 You can't reduce inflation by printing more money and lowering interest rates. Mm-hmm. That has the opposite effect. Right. So they have to stop printing money and stop lowering interest rates mm-hmm. or they'll create more inflation. Inflation gets created by government spending above its tax base. That creates more inflation. And getting the government to stop is nearly impossible. They might just continue having deficit spending that force the Federal Reserve to print money to pay for it. Okay. But you can't, in order to reduce inflation, you have to counter that. So in order to counter it, you've got to increase interest rates and try to force the country into some sort of mild recession so that people stop spending like crazy. Yeah. And you've got to start getting rid of the debt. So um, they have to do all those things and, and they don't have any choice anymore. In other words, they used to have the ability to offset a recession by lowering interest rates or printing money. They can't do that anymore. Now they're throwing us into a recession and they can't print money to get us out of it. And they can't lower interest rates to get us out of it. They've got to keep those things high, which is why Dalio is saying that inflation is going to stay at 5% and uh, interest rates are going to stay at 6 because they can't, they can't go back on that. If they go back on that, we spin into a third world, you know, Zimbabwe, Argentina disaster uh, where the dollar, which in is a world reserve currency. In terms of monetary value. In terms of monetary value. And the dollar stops being the world's reserve currency. 
So we're in a really between a rock and a hard place. There's very, very little the Federal Reserve can do, if anything, to influence the direction other than to make the direction bad. That's what they can do. And they're doing it. And Powell is intent on doing it. He's ignoring yeah. all of the people who are busy saying, oh, please, you know, we're not in bad shape. Everything's good. You don't need to slow everything down. And he's just continuing to raise interest rates and will continue to do so. I guess that's the part uh, understood. I guess that's the part that I sort of struggle with, like longer term predictions, because my understanding is that the idea behind these Fed moves is to make it a shorter term minor recession in mm-hmm. hopes that it will stay minor and will stay shorter term. And yes. then we come back to more of a equilibrium level of now, now remember uh, this is the same group growth. of people the same group of people who didn't see inflation in the first place. Yeah, I'm not saying they're right. I'm just saying like <laughs> right. that's the idea. So, so what you're listening to are people who have to say the politically correct thing. Maybe. They can't say, I don't think they can say it even if they believed it. I don't know if they believe it. But I don't think they can come out and say we're in for a really hard time. And Jamie Dimon and Jeff Bezos are right. We have a hurricane coming at us. It's time to batten the hatches. You're going to get hit. It's, it's just a question of how violent the hurricane's going to be. It okay. is no soft landing. That I think is clear. It's We're going to get hit, or maybe we are already getting hit. It's just a question of how violent, how long the hurricane's going to be. So right. from a long-term investing Buffett point of view, does it even really matter how, you know, uh, making a prediction about how long economic troubles might last? It matters just in the sense that in these economic problems, it's going to rain gold, right? I mean, you're going to have wonderful businesses go on sale. They're already wonderful. One of the best businesses in the world is getting toward being on sale. Google, right? So not on sale yet necessarily, but it's getting there. So um, you're going to have these wonderful companies available to buy. The thing is, you need money to buy them with. Yeah. So if you sit in the market, as your advisors are telling you to do, and just ride it out, you will not be able to take advantage of the sales when they come on because you don't have any capital. Right? Your capital is all wrapped up and going down like a brick. So what Buffett does, what I do, what really I think the best investors in the world do, and I don't mean to you know, include myself in that group because I'm, I'm certainly not, but I'm good at it. And what they do is get to cash and they do so regularly. Buffett currently has $110 billion in cash. Um, Michael Burry has got very little of his, of his capital tied up in the market right now. The guy that called the short position on the stock market in 2007, yeah. right? I mean, g- really good investors are getting a bucket ready to catch these companies when they go. And you either get that bucket ready from getting out of companies now at a really high market valuation, or you've got a job that will pay you and you can save money and you'll, you'll collect up the money that way. Um, but one way or the other, you've got to get the money together because you're going to have an opportunity of a lifetime coming up here and you won't see the likes of it for a long, long time after this. 
Mm. Okay, so what I hear you saying is that the reason to care whether it's going to be short or long is that if it were short, an option would be you stick with what you own and you wait for things to come back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, oh man. But isn't that the entire concept of what we do? We stick with what we own for many, many years because they're the best companies and we want to stick with them and we buy them for 10 years or 20 years on purpose. Ideally, ideally. But ideals um, are different depending on where you are economically. So for example, when Buffett was building a fortune, he didn't stick with anything. He sold absolutely whenever that stock price rose to within 20% of intrinsic value, he sold. In other words, when it got to be 80% of intrinsic value, he was a seller all through the 50s and the 60s. And then when he got really big, Charlie Munger came in and said, look, man, we, we're basically too big and not nimble enough to be jumping out of the market. And what we've got to do is stay with these companies. And yeah. Buffett confirmed that in his discussion about Coca-Cola just saying, yeah, I, I'm just not nimble enough. He said, if he said, if I had a million dollars, I'd be making 50% a year. But he'd be getting out of things. He'd be getting out. And that's what you have to do if you're trying to build a portfolio. You're trying to become wealthy. You're trying to create generational wealth. You don't have the luxury of just sitting there and waiting long periods of time when you could be buying another company that'll double in the next three years. So great if you can. Or you end up taking your money out of a company that doubles in the next three years and you made the wrong call. Okay, so that's where. Right, which is what we've been talking about for the last few years. That's where this macro view becomes very important. If what we're saying is correct, that on all levels, there's going to be a major pullback in the stock market and it's going to be a long term pullback. Yeah. There's nothing on the horizon that says it's going to take off. Then the idea that you're going to stay in there and this company is going to double in the next three years isn't very likely. I mean, what company is going to double from its current pricing right now unless it's already dropped massively, right? So most companies haven't gone down that much. The S&P is down about 20%. Um, and, and a great deal of that are the tech stocks that are down 30 or 35 or 40. Mm-hmm. A lot of companies are down like 10% now. And so if you sit there, that 10% down will be the high point of maybe, maybe of the next 10 years. Could easily be. That this, could easily this be. company. Hmm? Yeah, could easily be. Easily. And so meanwhile, you're sitting there with this company doing zero rates of return for the next decade. Yeah. When you could have sold it and bought a company super cheap, when it when it goes up near its intrinsic value as the market fluctuates, it just naturally fluctuates up and down, you sell it and then you get another one. And the model for that that you should look at is the 1970s, where the market went from a thousand on the Dow down 30 to 40 to 50% repeatedly, at least 12 times over that 18 year period. In other words, faster than every two years, you could have made 30 to 50%, sorry, 60 to 100% returns on companies just by buying them when they're cheap and selling them when they get near intrinsic value. 
And that's how Buffett made an astonishing fortune in the 70s. Yeah. You look puzzled. You look very puzzled. Like this is this is news. Yeah, it's absolutely strange new I mean you got to you got to recognize Essentially what you're saying, it's not quite timing the market. It's more like taking money out of a good company and putting it in an equally or better good company. No, it's like taking um, money out of a really good company and then putting it back into that same really good company. Okay. Which is timing the market. No? Which is not timing the market. You're taking the money out because this thing's already way over intrinsic value. I mean, look, look at just to use Chipotle again as our ever exercise. Chipotle was priced at 2000 not very long ago. 2000. Yeah. We've got an intrinsic value of Chipotle at maybe, maybe $1,000 a share. Intrinsic value. Uh-huh. In other words, we'd buy it at 500 and sell it at 1000 and it went to 2000 I mean, if it's at 1200 right now, it's 20% above intrinsic value. Why are you sitting in it if you own Chipotle? Are you just hoping it will go back to some ridiculous value? Or are you going to just say, look, the market gets rational once in a while and will price things where they're supposed to be. And when it does that, this thing's going down to a thousand minimum. And then the market gets depressed and it'll send it down to 500. I'm going to buy it again and ride it back up to 1200 or whatever. One of my favorite things you say is I don't have a crystal ball. And this sounds a lot like crystal balling. It isn't crystal balling, Danielle. This is price versus value. Instead of a hyped up value based on stupidly low interest rates and a market that has nowhere else to put the money because bonds are paying zero, you have prices that have gotten out of control. You can't look at those out of control prices where the Wilshire to GDP ratio is 250% when historically it's pricey at 120 yeah. You can't look at that and say, oh, it's the new normal. It's not the new, nothing normal about what's been going on in the last 15 years. Nothing normal about it at all. Yeah. So if I'm right, then what that means is there's a great resetting of what normal looks like. And when that happens, there's going to be a shock to people who have never seen the market really go down before. And they're, they're going to get crushed. What I'm hoping for you guys who are listening is that you're paying attention to the value of the business, not to market timing at all. We, I still own a number of stocks because they're still cheap and I wanna buy more if they go down, but they're not in anywhere near intrinsic value, so I'm not gonna sell them. So it's not timing the market, it's looking at value and saying, all right, I'm, I'm not gonna play the game of just hoping this just goes up forever. I mean, this thing is expensive, but now I'm gonna sell it I'm going to take my profit off the table and I'm going to wait patiently and buy the same company back when it's selling for about 60% less than it's selling for right now. Now, I'm not crystal balling it. I'm just saying that these are the normal fluctuations of the market. They happen with great regularity and they will happen. With great certainty, they're going to happen. The question is whether you're going to have capital available to, de to deploy or not. Agree. <laughs> Thank you. Agree. Agree. Agree to agree. All right. Well, maybe we should call it for today. I feel like you're just like, oh, I don't know. 
And yeah. we'll come back and talk about what it is you don't know next week. <laughs> okay, we'll come back and talk about what it is I don't know. <laughs> right on. <laughs> All right. The list Until is long. Then. The list is long. All right. <laughs> All right yes. And if there's somebody listening who knows what it is I don't know and can articulate it better than I am, send an email, please. I could use some help on this one. You guys know why this is confusing. So questions at investedpodcast.com. Okay, help right, me out. Thanks, right. everybody. Bye. Time to go play. See ya. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information or to listen to additional episodes, visit our website at investedpodcast.com and sign up for my virtual workshop right there. Spots are definitely limited for this event. I'm not kidding. They really are. They sell out very quickly. So everything discussed on this podcast, by the way, is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And it's really important. It's not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your financial advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So remember that you're on your own here. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only. And I really hope you enjoyed it. <laughs>